One less called than I And finally, new rule conservatives who constantly whine that Christianity is under attack from liberals have to explain why there are over 300,000 churches in the U.S., but only 400 Whole Foods. I don't make this stuff up. Please, please, you can't say I don't make this stuff up just five seconds after you said the words Manda Kasabasanda. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky. Thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. Exactly. Okay, well, that's different. That's different. That's called mental illness, if I'm not correct. Savior of steel, Jesus. prophesied, he said that in the last days, they'll hate you because of me. In fact, he went further into saying that if they beat the master, curse the master, and then crucify the master, what can the servants of the master expect to receive in return? We live now in a generation that, that really isn't a generation of faith anymore. Uh, when President Obama first said, that we're no longer a Christian nation, it kind of ticked me off. I was like, yes, we are. But there was some truth in his statement in that though many people call themselves Christians, they're not necessarily people of faith. I've had these interactions with different people who said, said things to me like, you really believe that God created the earth in six days? And, uh, and you don't believe in evolution? You actually believe that God created the earth in six days? And I said, Yes. I'm a believer. That's what it means. I have faith that what the Word of God says is true. But because of the society that we now live in, and our grandparents and our great-grandparents didn't live in a society that was opposing faith so much. And I think some of it is our own fault because we as the church have lost faith as well. In fact, we seem to be more than ever trying to draw our confidence from the people of this world and the society in which we live instead of from the God of the Word of God, the God of the Bible. And I would move us into this, this three-part series called The People of Faith for a couple of reasons. First off, um, we've got to grow in our faith. Second of all, we have to realize that we can't draw strength from our society anymore. Even though our founding fathers and mothers were people of faith, that they left a land where they could not worship freely to come to a land where they could start a country, a nation, where God could be the center point. In God we trust, stamped on our money. And though things have shifted in our culture and in our nation, I believe that it's now more than ever before critical that we go back to being the people of faith. But we have to grow in it. And so that's what this series is going to be about. How to grow in our faith. How to identify what faith is. We'll do that today. What does it mean to be a person of faith? How do we walk in faith? How do we actually live out this thing called Christianity? How do we believe in the God that we cannot see? What does that mean and what does that look like? So we've got a key verse here today. We're taking it out of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So the writer of Hebrews lays out what is faith? What is it? And the biblical definition of it is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for. See, I am sure as a believer, I'm sure that there's a heaven waiting for me. I've never seen it. I've never met anybody who, quote, was there and came back. And I, I, I don't know those people. I'm sure there are those who I've seen on TV testify about that. But I'm sure of it because it's called faith. It's being sure of what I, what I, what I can't even see. I'm hoping and believing. And hope kind of is the beginning stages of belief or faith, if you will. To hope that the God that we serve really does care about us, that he really has our best interest in mind, that if I live according to his biblical, and, 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 and that, that there is a reward waiting for me, that I can have a real relationship with the living God, and, 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 and that certain of what I do not see, I'm certain that there's a God in heaven and earth. I'm certain that he's my best friend. I'm certain of that that's what's called faith, to be certain of that which you can't even really see, that which you not necessarily even can grab a hold to. That's why it's called faith. In fact, each and every one of you walked in here and as worship came to an end, and as the prayer time came to an end, you put your faith in the chair that you're sitting in. You never tested it. You didn't prove it. You didn't do an inspection on it. You didn't check the welds to be sure that they were done right. You sat down in faith that that chair would hold your weight. Faith is putting hope in that which you're not necessarily sure of, but being sure of it by way of faith. About being certain for that which you can't even really see. That's what faith is. That's why it's called faith. It's called faith. And in that relationship with the living God, I have found, and many of you as well, have found that though I may not see him, I feel him, I sense him. Though, though he doesn't speak to me audibly, he speaks to my heart, to my mind, to my senses. And though I may not know his, every part of his nature, that in his holy word, he's revealed himself in his nature, in his character. And as I read that word and I become alive in him, I start taking on his nature and his characteristics. And his nature and characteristics really do oppose the world in which I live. The way this world system does business is not the way the God that I serve does business. And so they really are at conflict with each other. And to be people of faith means that we stand in faith even if it doesn't work in the scenario of the people around us. Even if the people around us live differently and act differently, we're still to be people of faith. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, as he's writing this, we don't, we're not sure who the author of Hebrews is. It, it, for many years, people thought it might be Paul, but there's no proof that it was Paul. We do know that the audience that this book is being written to are Jewish Christians in somewhere around 66 to 68 AD. So there's this moment in time of great persecution, and this letter to the Hebrews are being written to Christian Jews, more than likely that are living in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the hotbed for persecution. When you study the book of Acts, you see that, that Paul was going about through the outlining areas trying to get Christians and trying to have them in prison, trying to have them killed. Well, by this time, it's in full-blown uh, attack. So if you're a Jewish Christian, first and foremost, your culture is Jewish. And, and, and now all of a sudden, you've decided you don't want to be as much about your culture, but you want to follow Jesus Christ. You believe he was the Messiah, and you follow him and his teachings. And so for all your relatives, they're like, what have you done? You're a part of a cult. So you got that conflict happening. And then at the same time, the Romans have really gotten full swing into trying to appease some of the Jewish leaders by killing Christians, throwing them in the Colosseums, 
The gladiators cutting their heads off. It's a big spectacle. In fact, it was the, it was the pre-show to the big show. Before the gladiators fight each other, they'd throw Christians out into this uh, uh, great coliseum. And the people would cheer as lions and tigers and bears begin to attack them. And that was kind of the spectacle, the pre-show, if you will. The warm-up, if you will. And to this scenario comes the book of Hebrews. To this group of people who've decided Jesus is the way, even though my family disagrees, even though they don't see it like that, even though my neighbors are, are, are full-blown, you know, rabbinical Jewish, uh, you know, they don't, they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, even though this way is being considered a cult, even though Christianity is being considered, you know, something wicked, I believe I found the truth, God. Even though we're being attacked, even though we're being imprisoned, I believe that this is the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus Christ. And as they begin to go through these persecutions, we find this book written to them to encourage them of what is faith. And so what the writer of Hebrews does in chapter 11, and this chapter 11 is many times termed the heroes of the faith. Because in it, the writer of Hebrews begins to list out some of the great men and women of faith throughout uh, 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 Jewish history. Those who believed in God when the rest of the society didn't even believe in God. And so he begins to list out their scenarios. They were in this situation, and they believed God. They were in this horrible moment of life, and they believed God. And as a result of what they did and what they believed, they're now credited as the great heroes. And the writer of Hebrews begins to go through about a score or so of the different Hebrews in the scenarios. And I would say this to you like this. The Word of God says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So as a Christian, the tenement, the foundation of who we are, we are people of faith. But we live in a faithless generation. And so what's happened is that faithlessness has crept into our Christian walk, has crept into our churches, and it's time for us to rise up again and be people of faith. We have to grow our faith. We have to mature in our faith. And faith is not a philosophy. It's much more about an action. And we'll see that all throughout these pieces, and I'm going to extract Six scenarios out of the 12 or plus some that the, that the writer of Hebrews gave in this chapter. I'm going to pull them out and show you scenario faith. That faith is not, not just a feeling or emotion, but, but faith is an action. I'm in this situation, I have a choice to make, and I choose to follow God. I'm in this situation, and because I'm going to walk in faith, I choose to believe this, even though I don't see it that way. Because it is the evidence of things not seen. It is being sure of that which you're hoping for, even though it hadn't transpired yet. In fact, I would say it like this, and that is there's a reality, and then there is a, if you will, a fact. In our life, we have facts. They diagnose you with cancer. That's a fact. That's what they diagnose you with. But in the realities of God, cancer has no power over you. And so what faith is, is to draw in the realities of God into the facts of our life. And said, this may be, I may be, I may be in, a, in a dead marriage. I may be in a situation that seems unbelievable, and that's a fact. But in God, the supernatural creator of heaven and earth. Come on, somebody. The person, who, the person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelling in me, empowering me to take that reality, the truth of the Godhead, the three in one, and bring that into the factual statements of my life. And say, that reality is what I believe that reality, though I don't see it at work yet, I have faith that God's at work in my life. That is faith. Drawing his realities into our scenarios. 
So if you wouldn't mind, if you'd bear with me for just a few moments, I'm going to pull out and extract six of these 12 or 15 scenarios and just highlight a couple of them so that we can see that faith is not just feeling something or believing something, but faith is when you and I find ourselves in a situation like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, oh, what do I do? And we faith it. We draw his supernatural reality into the facts that are terrible and hard in our life. And we stand on that. That's called faith. Are you with me? Say yes. All right, so let's turn quickly in the book of Hebrews. If you're not there already, we're going to look at verse 7 for our first scenario of faith. Standing for righteousness when no one else is. Here's our first scenario. Standing for righteousness when no one else is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. So he finds himself in a scenario when no one in the world believes in God. Can you imagine that? We're gathering with a bunch of faith people. But can you imagine living in a generation where no one believes in God? So God comes to you. I mean, he's standing for righteousness when no one else is. God comes to you and says, I'm destroying the entire world. I'm going to flood the world. You've got to understand, scholars believe up until this point, rain had never come on the earth. They believed there was a canopy around the earth. There was a, a mist, if you will. There was, a, there was a blockade. There was no need that literally, if you've ever been to Hawaii, and, and when you wake up in the morning, there's this mist on the ground that makes, it, makes it so, uh, you know, the, the, the foliage so just beautiful. It gives them all the nutrients and the, and the, and the moisture that it needs. And that, and that after the flood, that that ripped open, and then God began to, you know, give us rain in a different kind of concept. So that's what some believe. I, I'm not really 100% sure I wasn't there. But it says, by faith, he built an ark. When everyone else is wicked, he says, okay, God, I'll build an ark. Now, let me help you with this. When you hear that statement, if you went to Sunday school or VBS back in the day, they probably didn't explain to you. He didn't build an ark for a week, for a month, for a year, for 10 years. He built it for 100 years. I want, think about, stay with me, think about this. Think about, think about the first 10 years. No, what are you doing? Building a boat. What's a boat? It's this thing that's going to flood, uh, float when everybody else is drowning. What? Yeah, it's going to rain. All y'all are going to die. God said, because you're wicked. Okay, Noah, have a good day. You too. Imagine 20 years into this thing. Imagine, I mean, he, every time he goes to Home Depot to get more nails. I mean, think this thing through for a little bit. What you doing today? I, yeah, well, we're, we're, you know, we're putting some of the siding on on the left side, on the, on the port side. Can you imagine that? Can, what about the new neighbor moving into the neighborhood? Hi, we're the Johnsons. We just moved in. So good to meet you. Oh, okay. Oh, my goodness. What's going on in your backyard? Um, that's my husband. He's uh, building an ark. Really? Yes. And what's the ark for? Well, God told us that y'all are all going to drown. But we'll have a boat, so we'll be okay. Can you imagine that conversation? Can you imagine that guy knocking at the door, looking over his wife like, they've been token. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's a whole other group of people. We move. Can you imagine the difficulties with the HOA? Because you're building an ark in your backyard. I mean, think about this. I mean, put this thing in practical. I mean, for 100 years, do you think at the 50-year mark, he's thinking, what have I done? Do you think somewhere about 75 years into this thing, I mean, every day, every day. Can you imagine his kids are like, Dad, 
What are we doing? When is there going to be this rain thing that's a hundred years? He believed in faith. When everyone else is like, You're, that's stupid. Everyone else, God, there is no God. Every day, he faithed it out. Can I tell you something? There are moments in our Christian walk where we just have to faith it out. You know what? I, I don't know. He told me to do it. I'm just doing my best. Yeah, but I have a vision one day that God's going to use me and I'm going to sing to millions of people. That's what the prophecy was when I was 10 years old. And they won't even let me on the worship team. Just keep worshiping, girlfriend. Just keep singing in your car every day to work. Faith it out. Here's the second scenario that I would extract. Look at this one. Number two, abandoning comfort and following God. Look at this scenario about abandoning comfort and following God. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham... When he, called to, when he was called to go up to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham is considered the father of faith. Father Abraham. There you go. So Abraham, so, so you got to understand, let's put, again put it into perspective, biblical times, it's a tribal, it's a tribal existence. And so, so they're out, he's part of a tribe, a group of people. In that group of people, he has grandparents and parents and cousins and nieces and nephews and uh, uncles and all these. And they have become a tribal area in this particular part of the world they live in. They all know each other. They have a system of doing things. And then God tells him, leave your tribe and go out into the wilderness. Why would you do that? There are barbarians out there. They're going to kill him. They're going to rob him. They're going to steal from him. And the Bible says that he trusted God and in faith he went. He, 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 he jumped into the scenario when God said, listen, I want you to leave what you're doing, the comfort, the safety of your family unit, and I want you to go. I want you to know something. Years ago, God did the same thing to me and Miss Jamie. I want you to leave the comfort of the Cajun life. <laughs> Move to Texas. I'd never owned a pair of boots. I only own a pair now in case there's a special event that I have to wear them at. I, I, listen, I like steak and ribs, but better for a Cajun is a table with boiled crawfish and shrimp just piling over. Move to Texas, Dallas, they don't even have a good college football team. SMU, TCU, who cares? To date, if LSU loses a game on a Saturday night, there's depression all over my house. It's hard to preach the next day. And God says, leave the place. of I'm an only child. My wife's an only child. Leave your parents. and Leave your friends, the church that you grew up in, the influence that you have, and move to a land where you don't even understand why there are six belt lines all over the place that none of them even connect. Move to a place that you don't know because I have an inheritance for you. Had we not done that, you wouldn't be here. This church wouldn't be here. And the thousands upon thousands of people who've been touched. Because we left comfort in faith. We walked it out. It didn't make sense. There was no money here. There was no relational lines here. We just did it by faith. See, faith is about an action in a scenario by bringing God's reality into our practicality. And saying, God, I will trust you. What I cannot see, what I do not even completely understand, I believe that you are the God of heaven and earth. 
and I will follow you. This is what faith looks like. So the writer of Hebrews had to put faith into practical scenarios so you could see what it really looks like. So that it wouldn't be a philosophy to you, but it'd be an everyday practical experience. And as the church, more now than ever before, we've got to bring the practicality of being a person of faith into our everyday scenarios. Not just on Sundays, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We've got, we got to bring faith into a game at 3.30 this afternoon that there's going to be a... Sorry, I had a moment with the Cowboys that I was faithing they were going to win. We, we, have, we have to bring our faith into the workplace where we, live, where we work, into the neighborhood in which we live in. We've got to be people of faith in the scenarios where the world, they don't have faith. They don't trust God in that. They surely don't act like the Lord in that scenario. And we have to bring faith in that. We have to be people of faith. Years ago, I was at a high school basketball game. Miss Jamie said I had to be careful how I tell this story second service. <laughs> I was at a high school basketball game, and uh, there were a bunch of young adults, obviously recent graduates, seniors, whatever they were. And, uh, and the ref wasn't doing too good of a job, so they were cussing and spitting. Ref, you suck. You know, they were doing all that. And then they move into cursing. And, they, and, and I was okay at first. You know, I don't, I mean, people curse. That's just, you know, they don't know any other adjectives. And I get that. That's part of their life. But there's a particular curse word that I will not put up with, and that's GD. And, and you're not going to damn my God. You're not going to do it. Not in front of him. He, he gave me life. I, I have heaven awaiting me because of the death on the cross of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're surely not going to curse him. Come on, you with me? And so before I knew it, these young adults were GD and GD and GD and GD. And, and about, about the fifth time, I don't know what came over me, but a person of faith rose up. And I said, hey, if you curse my God one more time, I'm going to punch you in the face. You understand me? And they looked at me, and I thought, as I said, I'm like, they're big kids. I don't know if this was the best decision. I just couldn't take it. Why? Because faith arose in me that God, my God, cannot be damned in front of everyone. They, they will not curse him like this. And I said, I'll not put up with it. And let me tell you what they did. They went, Rrr. no, they went, oh, we're so sorry. I was like, that's right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We've got to bring faith into our everyday life. Are you with me? Come on. Are you with me? Say yes. We've got to be people of faith. Here's the third scenario in Hebrews chapter 11. We find again about Abraham. In Hebrews 11, it's Abraham believing for miracles. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was able to become the father, a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. So let me back this up for you. So, so God... Because Abraham had obeyed the Lord and had left his land, God told him, I'm going to give you this land to your, your descendants because I'm going to make a covenant with you because nobody else on the earth wants to serve me. So I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham, because you seem to believe in me. You seem to trust me. You were willing to leave your land and come follow me to this land. And so I'm going to give you this land. They're still fighting to get Israel back their land. And he said, I'm going to give you this land. And this land is going to belong to you and your descendants. And, we, and I will be your God and you'll be my people. And we'll have a covenant relationship with each other. And Abraham said, that's great. The problem is I can't have kids. My wife is barren. God comes to him and speaks to him this promise and tells him he's going to do this when he's 75 years old. Imagine grandpa at Christmas saying, hey, by the way, God spoke to me last night. Me and your grandma are going to have kids. <laughs> grandma is going to get knocked up, baby. You'd be like, grandpa, uh, what are you doing? 75, she's 65. 
And so he accepted that as a truth. Okay, Lord, I'll stand with you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? She's sitting there sewing baby blankets at 70 years old. Can you imagine? All the neighbors are like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to have a kid one day. <laughs> Pass me the icy hot. My back is hurting me so bad. Can you imagine? When, she, she, when she's 80, 80, she's got this pile of booties and all the stuff she sewed. Blankets and little things for this kid that she's been believing for day in and day out and day in and day out. Can you imagine that? The Bible says that Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old when she became pregnant. You you are not listening to me because you should be falling down right now out of your mind. You Come on, put your brain in the right spot. Imagine grandma, 90, great, that's not even, that's great grandma. Imagine great grandma at 90 years old and her walker and pregnant. Imagine that birthing class. <laughs> She's over there. <sighs> Reeks of icy hot all over the room. <laughs> Imagine that birthing class. Think about that just a moment, man. She's on Medicare about to get birthed. Can, can you think that through? That's the craziest thing in the world. They brought God's reality into their practical. They, God, she cannot have a baby. Her, her wound is barren. You don't think we've been trying? God, we've been trying since we first got married. This is not going to happen. And he gives him that promise when, again, when he's 75 and she's 65. He says, hey, I'm going to do something supernatural. And he held on to his faith. Had a moment of weakness. Brought a slave girl in. Had a baby with her, Ishmael. And still those two groups are fighting back and forth. Ishmael and Isaac's lineage. Still back and forth. Because trying to do it in our own strength instead of just fighting for faith, believing for a miracle. Some of you have been believing for some miracles and you want to give up. Friend, listen, when you get to the 25-year mark, just hold on. Say, man, it's been so, I've been believing God to do this thing for me and it's been like three months. It's so hard. Really? How about grandma getting pregnant? That's one to believe for right there. Can you imagine that? I mean, listen, listen sitting, sitting right up here on the front row is Mr. Josiah Otto, one of the sons of this house. Awesome man of God. He was born with a defect in his right ear, right? It's the right one, not the left. Left. Oh, yeah, that's right, because you always do that. In his left ear. Cannot hear out of it. They, they figured it out when he was just a, just a baby, that he kept turning and, and they couldn't hear. And so Josiah grew up in a, in a Christian family. They prayed for him for healing all throughout his teens and 20s. And I'll never forget, he went to Bible school, and everybody at Bible school wanted to get him healed. <laughs> Everyone in Bible school wanted to fix him. And, uh, and Josiah just let him pray, let him pray, let him pray. And I'll never forget a couple years back, he and I were talking about it, and he goes, Pastor, I'm not, I just don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to suffer with this for the rest of my life. And I just said, Josiah, don't quit on your faith. Can I tell you something? Every Sunday service, whether he's praying for somebody or something else, he gets other, other people to pray for him. It hadn't happened yet. But that's what faith is. Staying believing. That which I cannot see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of that which I cannot see. I'm believing even though it hadn't happened yet. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting God even though it hadn't worked itself out. In fact, the writer of Hebrews starts closing out this piece and he says, even though some of them did not see the thing that was promised to them in their lifetime, it came through their children and their children's children. 
God will not break his promises. He is not a God that he should lie. He will fulfill what he said he would do. And when you and I grab a hold of that, we start becoming people of faith. But you've got to bring faith into the everyday scenarios of life. And some of you, you've been believing for a marriage. It's been tough. You wanted to quit on it. Friend, just keep believing. You've been walking through this thing with this job, and you've been having a hard time. Just keep faith in it. Keep faith in it. Keep faith in it. Keep faith in it. You say, oh, it's so tough. You hadn't been to the 25-year mark yet. Well, Pastor, I've been married 50 years. It's been hard. Well, you just keep on believing because there will be a breakthrough. It will come to pass in its due season, according to the Holy Scripture. And you and I need to pray, take his reality and bring it into our factuality. We need to say, God is bigger than the facts of my life. God is great than the things that they've said. God is bigger and loves me more than whatever else they've cursed me by and I will believe that and hold to that. We are people of faith. You're not gonna get that from the television broadcast. You're not gonna get that from the movies that are, they're putting out there. You're not gonna get that from The View or from Fox News or anything like that. You've gotta draw that from God himself for we are supposed to be people of faith. The Bible says it like this, that the, that the earth groans waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Translating that out, paraphrasing that out, it's saying that the earth itself is waiting for the people of God to be the people of God. To walk in the supernatural that they were called to walk in, to drag God's reality into our factuality. Instead of, well, that's just what it is. To start being people of faith. Here's the next scenario that we see. And that is, number four, forsaking fame and fortune. And here the writer of Hebrews quotes Moses' situation. Says by faith Moses, when he had grown up, verse twenty-four, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of heaven. Moses gets adopted in as a baby by Pharaoh's daughter. He grows up in privilege. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being Bill Gates' grandkid? Can you imagine? The Pharaoh, or the king of Egypt, if you will, would have been the dictator for what was then probably the entire civilized world. Egypt would have been the dominating factor on the planet during this season. And you're the grandson of the dude in charge of everything. Their technology was off the chart. It's supernatural, probably even demonic, some of the things that they were able to come up with and how they got some of this technology and just... The way they, they just advanced. Very advanced society. And you are the grandson. You, are, you talk about a silver spoon in the mouth. You talk about privilege. You never worked a day in your life. Once he realized that he originally was a Hebrew and was adopted into the Egyptian family, and he recognized the Hebrews are the slaves to the Egyptians, he decided, I would rather be a part of the Hebrews who serve the living God and I will let go of fame and fortune and comfort and I will take on disgrace because I would rather live in peace with the living God than live in the sin of the wickedness of the Egyptians. He gave it up. He gave up that. So He gave up fame and fortune so that he could be right with God. There are people in this room that gave up opportunities to be right with God. We had a family that we were real close with, the Hennigans, and Mr. Hank Hennigan, the dad, was a very successful sales rep for the largest sign company uh, in the United States. In the 80s and 90s, you know, you didn't have social media and things like that. And, and so billboards all along the highways were, were a great source of big money. And he was kind of, for the regional area that we were from, he was the top guy. And his job turned from 
you know, working in an office to basically taking care of clients. Clients would fly in from all over the United States, and his job was to woo and wine and dine these clients so that they would, they would buy. And they would buy big all across the United States. They'd buy out billboards and, and so forth and so on. And though he had been a Christian and though he'd gone to church, he found himself in strip clubs because the client wanted to go to a strip club. He found himself at bars drinking with these guys. And in the midst of that whole interaction, he began interacting with our family. And mom and dad began to tell him about the power of the Holy Spirit, how that he could live righteously. They laid hands on him and he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, supernatural change. And then all of a sudden, faith, obviously, to a whole other level came inside of him. And he said, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to be like that anymore. I don't care. It's not worth the money. And now his house note is based on that kind of living, the cars, all the things that they committed to. And he's, he has this moment of great fear. How can I live for God and give up what I've been doing and the lifestyle that I've provided at this rate for my family? And so he just walked in faith, took God's reality, and said, I will serve God. If that means I lose my house, come on, somebody. If that means I'm not living like that, I'm not going to the booby bars anymore with these guys. I'm not getting people drunk anymore. I'm not paying for prostitutes anymore. I'm going to change. He started his own little company, and I want you to know that God took his little company. Not only did he sustain the lifestyle he had before, but multiplied it even further because he stood for righteousness. He gave up fame and fortune in faith for the living God to live righteously. This is what people of faith do. That's what people of faith do. I was speaking at this youth conference years ago, and afterwards this lady walked up to me with tears coming down her eyes. She said, my daughter got saved in one of your services a couple years ago. I said, oh, that's awesome. I said, what's her name? She said, Nikki. I said, where is she? She she goes, well, she died last year. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. She said, it's okay. I wanted to tell you her story. I said, oh, okay, great. She said, well, after Nikki came to a meeting that you had done and, and, and just radically got changed, she was 16 years old. She wanted a car, so she started working at Sonic. I said, oh, great. And she goes, yeah. And she was just, she loved God, man. And she was, she was growing in the things of the Lord and in her faith. And I said, that's, that's beautiful. She said, what happened was the other employees noticed that Nikki never cursed. So they tried to get her to curse. Nikki will give you $5 if you'll say, you'll say a curse word. She said, no, I won't do it. I love God too much. Nikki, come on, we give, we, give, we give you $10. Nope. So they created, get the Nikki to curse jar. And they begin to put their tips in it. Would you curse for $20? No, I'm not. I love God. I'm not going to do that. It's, it's not worth it to me. $30. They kept putting their tips in it. For a couple months, it got up to over 100 bucks. For a high school student, that was pretty big in those days. It got up to two, $300. Like they were scared someone was going to break in and steal the tip jar. Because it was a bunch of money. And they could not get her to curse. One night, after the late shift, somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning, her manager brought her home. And as she was pulling in the driveway, Nikki had something wrong that they never caught as a child. She had something wrong with her heart. She had a degenerative situation that they didn't know about. And as they pulled into the driveway at 2 o'clock in the morning, she began to have chest pains and died as a 16-year-old. As the lady's telling me a story, I'm like, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. She goes, that's okay. She said, but Pastor Adam, what I wanted you to know was, when we did Nikki's funeral, every one of those employees stood up and said, Nikki was the only real Christian I ever knew. Nikki wouldn't curse with us. And whatever she had, I want it. And today, I want to give my life to Jesus. She said, all 15 of those, kid, those co-workers did that. She said, then, she said, then, the preacher stood up and said, Nikki served the real God. 
Whatever you're doing in your life, if you don't know the real God, today's your day of salvation. She said 400 people got saved at Nikki's funeral. That little girl, that 16-year-old, touched more people in her 16 years, in her little life, I'm not cussing, for a few months, changed more lives than most people do in a whole lifetime. Because she walked in faith that there's a better way. I don't have to live like that. Here's the next scenario that we see, and that is fighting an impossible battle. So the writer of Hebrews in verse 30, he pulls out this moment with Jericho. He says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. After they had marched around for seven days. So for some of you don't know the story because you didn't go to BBS as a kid. What, what the story was, or you don't watch Veggie Tales. So, so <laughs> there's this moment where God had given the people of Israel this prom- promised land, but they were people who lived there. And so they had to go fight them to take the land. And so this particular group, Jericho. And now, now uh, scholars believe that the Egyptians had actually uh, built the walls of Jericho uh, with their technology because it had been an outpost for them. But their territory had waned a little bit, and so they had left it. And the people of Jericho basically settled it and became a pretty strong, you know, tribal group, if you will. And, and they had this giant, uh, 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 you know, wall that no one could penetrate. You couldn't go over it, couldn't go under it. And, uh, and it was just unbelievable. And so uh, the, people, the people of Israel, God said, okay, we're going to give you Jericho. And uh, they were like, okay, let's go fight. And, uh, but it's impenetrable. How are we going to do it? And God tells them, okay, here's the battle strategy. Get the worship leaders out there and have them go into the battle first. And I just want you all to circle the wall singing worship songs. And then at the end of the big circle, everybody shout and then go back to your tents. I want you to picture that. You're a green beret. You've been a fighting man your whole life. You're standing there with the captain of the army, and he says, we just heard from God. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to get the little worship people. They're going to lead us in worship. We're all going to sing and then shout, and then we'll come back home, and we'll do it again for seven days. Now, imagine being a green beret. Navy SEAL, Special Forces. I'm sorry, sir. You want us to do what? You want us to sing? Warriors do not sing. We murder. And you, we're, gonna climb the, we're not going to climb the wall? Nothing. No, the walls can't be climbed. We're going to sing. Okay. So can you imagine that first day? They get the worship team out there. No, 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 are y'all ready? Here we go. Everybody's in line. A million people in line. Single file. Going to march around this, this city. Big city. Big walls. All their people up top. <laughs> you can't get us. And they start marching around the city singing. God is good all the time. Put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. And they're marching around this doggone thing. Can you imagine being a warrior with all your gear? God is good. This is so stupid. Can't believe I'm doing this. And can you imagine the opposing army? Hey, you little pansy. That's all you got. And then get to the end of the song. Shout. Yay! Let's go back to our tents. <laughs> Come out the next day. God is good all the time. <laughs> Can you imagine? Day four, you are so stinking embarrassed, you can't even control yourself. Like you have killed social media. You're not responding to nothing. 
Like you want to fall off the map because this is the stupidest idea that could ever be, happen and that you could ever be a part of, but God said. And then on the seventh day, march around it, and you shout, ah! And all of a sudden these walls begin to implode. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. And they rush in and they take the city. Can you imagine? As you, as you just fighting for an, that's, it's impossible for that to happen. And some of you are fighting for a marriage that you just like, I don't know if it's going to happen. Some of you are fighting through some situations and you, you want to give up and you want to quit and you don't think it'll work. Some of you are fighting through some strongholds in your life and you want to quit on God. Friend, let me tell you something. Keep marching. Keep singing. Keep believing. Keep faithing. Keep bringing his reality into your practicality. Keep believing God. He said, I, just, I don't want to believe anymore. Listen, I've got a friend who's going to come speak to us. October 22nd, Cy Rogers is going to be here ministering to us. Now, most of you probably never heard his name, but Cy Rogers, years ago, was just a week from having his sex change from a man to a woman. He had lived a homosexual lifestyle. He, uh, he never knew God. And somewhere in the process of that, he met the Lord. And he got radically saved. But just because he got saved didn't mean that he was still sure of his sexuality. He was so confused. How can God, but I got these feelings. And, I got this. and this church began to disciple him. And he'd go up to the church. He'd read his Bible. And he'd, and he'd call the pastor in the middle of the night. I, I, I don't know. I want to go back. I got calls from my old friends. I got a text message from my bros. And they're all out there, you know, doing the thing tonight and, and doing drugs. And I, I, but I don't know. And, and they would walk him through, walk him through, day in and day out, day in and day out, fighting for a miracle to be free from his sexuality, the fusion, confusion of his sexuality, trying to believe that God did make him perfect in the way he was made. Friend, can I testify something? After months, years of fighting, this thing out day in and day out. Not only did God completely heal him, not only did God completely deliver him, he's married with two beautiful daughters and he travels the world teaching us how to deal with the temptation of our sexuality, how to deal with the feelings and the emotions of lies that have come from the pits of hell, how to actually justify the goodness of God's father love when we didn't have fathers in our life. And he, when he teaches, it's like heaven opens up. He fought for it day in and day out and saw the miracles of God because he took faith he pied it to the pain and difficulty that he'd been through. And all the stuff that had happened in his life. I promise you, when he comes and ministers, we're going to open it up Sunday night to the public. I promise you, you need to have everybody you know here to, to hear this man teach on the love of God and the sincerity of God's ability to heal us from the sexual perversion of our generation. The pornography addictions and all these things. God just delivers us. And this man teaches the truth because he walked through it. Because he fought an impossible battle to see the truth of God. Here's the last one, quickly. And that is, we see in th- verse 31, a changing of destiny. Here's a, here's a sixth scenario that I would extract from this. And the, 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 the people of God, these heroes of God, there was a changing of a destiny when we look at this passage about Rahab. In verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So the children of Israel, the Jews, are coming into this to take this land. And this walled up city cannot be penetrated. And there's this prostitute named Rahab. Her people are the enemies of the Israelites. The Israelites are the enemy of her people. She's a prostitute. I don't think, how did she become a prostitute? Do you think her dreams as a little girl was not to be a princess, but to be a prostitute? 
to have men treat her like an animal, like a possession? You think that was her life dream when she was a little girl? She said, how did she get this way? Because life is hard. And things happen to good people that drive them into difficult situations. And when she meets these spies, they obviously came into her, you know, her place of business to hide out. She recognizes these are spies and she has a choice to make. I can turn them in. But there's something about their God. It's got to be better than the God of Molech that I serve, who's never helped me one time. There's got to be something about their God that's given them these other areas and brought them out of the wilderness and got them out of slavery. They must be serving the real God. I want that God in my life. So she hides them. She protects them. They come looking for them, and she hides them. She says, oh, no, they've left. And she tells them this. Listen, I believe your God is the living God. And all I ask is that when God gives you our people and you utterly destroy our people, that you would save me and my family. That's what Joshua and them do. They save her. It changed her destiny. Her choice to believe in God in her horrible scenario, her choice to do that changed her children's 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 destiny because she is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. Did you know that in the lineage of our Savior, Jesus Christ is a prostitute? Come on, somebody. Because he loves and he redeems and he restores. See, her facts of life was that she was a prostitute. But the realities of God is that she could make a choice to be a person of faith. And that in that choice, it would change her destiny and the destiny of her children and her grandchildren. Some of you, the guys keep calling you to go out to the clubs with them. And you're trying to make a choice to be a person of faith. Frank, can I tell you something? Your children's destiny is dependent upon the choice that you make. Some of you are still struggling with things and not know if you really want to serve God. And you're you're back and forth on it. Friend, can I tell you something? The choices that you make right now are going to determine the destiny. Will that child, will that child have an absentee father who's a drunkard? Will that child grow up in a Christian home? Will that great grandkid be able to say, my grandfather, he wasn't a perfect man, but he loved God. He's a man of faith. And he made a decision back in the day, back in 2018, that he was going to go all the way for God. And it shifted everything in our family. Everything in our family. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that decision that my mom made in that moment to serve God. Made a choice. And in that choice to say, I'm going to be a person of faith. I'm going to trust God. Even though I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to trust God. In that faith decision, redirected all of our destinies. When the writer of Hebrews is lining out these heroes in the faith. It's not to shame us because we don't measure up, just the opposite. He's trying to show us that everyday people became heroes because they simply walked in faith in a moment of doubt and unbelief, in a moment of fear, in a scenario that was daunting and unbelievable. They said, you know what? I don't know what to do here, but I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. I, 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 don't, I don't really know how I'm supposed to act, but I'm going to act the way the Bible says, and I'm going to do this. And as a result, God kissed and blessed their action of faith. And as a result of that, they became heroes in the faith. I told the first service, I, when I first got out of high school, I was in college, I was in Bible school, um, I was working at Sam's Wholesale Club. And in those days, uh, you didn't have scanners and things like that. And, and I had to work to, to make a living. My mom and dad had abandoned me and went to the mission field. 
And so I was living with friends and stuff like that. And so I didn't have a lot of money. I was in Bible school. And so I was working at Sam's Hoso Club. And in those days, they didn't have these scanners where you would scan, scan the barcode and it would give you the price and the, and the item, uh, how spoiled we are now. In those days, there was a person who was at the register punching in the keys. And there was a person calling out the numbers off, off the, uh, the, the skew. And, uh, and, and, and you'd call the numbers. And then they would type it in and it would pop up and the amount of it and so forth. And so I'll never, I was the guy doing most of the calling out. And I'll never forget uh, 5205 Starlight mints. Come on, somebody. I still remember that one. And, I would, and we'd call them out. And this little old lady had come through and, and, uh, and she had left. And I'm standing there. I don't have a customer at that time waiting for other people to come. And I look on the back of the register where the little lady had been standing and stuff like that with her purse and stuff. And there's an envelope had kind of fallen down right there by the register. So I, I grabbed the envelope and I opened it up. It's $1,500 bills. 1989 starving Bible school student. $1,500 bills. That is a gift from heaven. That is, that, is, that is God sending money to his servant. And I get this money, open up, and a little girl sitting there at the cash register, I said, whoa. She goes, what is it? I said, it's $1,500 bills. She goes, I'll split it with you. I was like, what's this with you? This, I found this. And I said, no. I said, no, 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 I'm going to turn it in. She goes, turn it in. What the blank and blank is wrong with you? You don't turn it in. She said, you turn it in to the manager. He's just going to keep it. I said, no, ho, no, 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 no. I'm going to turn it in. I'm a Christian. I'm not taking this money. That's some little sweet little old lady's money. We can't turn it in. She won't come back for us. She won't remember. This is for us. Your God gave it to us. I said, no. I said, let me tell you something. I'm not going to hell over $1,500. Thank God it wasn't a million or a million and a half. <laughs> I mean, Can I tell you something? That little girl, I turned it into the managers, and that sweet little lady, she did come back for it like <laughs> a couple days later. And of God, girl cursed me. She, my coworker, she made fun of me every day. Where here comes the man of God? Like shut up. Anytime I did something wrong, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a Christian. And I'm like, pow! Now that's what a Christian does, right there. I'm still growing in my faith. You know, <laughs> hadn't quite got there yet. And you're not going to make it to heaven, but I am. <laughs> but I'll still have my teeth. Anyway, so, you know, I was just, just, just pushing and pushing and pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. And I just kept standing in faith. I kept praying for her. I kept just taking it, taking it. I was learning how to bring my faith into every scenario of my life. It wasn't just a person of faith when I was at church. I didn't just believe God when it was easy. I didn't, just, I didn't just apply the word of God to something that, that was already comfortable. It was taking what was uncomfortable and applying it to the horrible scenario and trusting that God, that's what faith is. The evidence of things not seen. I'm hoping, hoping and believing that if I'm obedient, that there will be something supernatural come out of it. That it will give me strength to walk through it. This is what faith looks like. And what we've done is we've extracted faith out of, out of our daily scenarios and don't want, can't understand why we're not seeing God's hand in our life. It's because we take the world system for work and we take the world system on how we deal with conflict at, at home and we try to bring that in there and we don't understand why it's not working. The reason why it's not working is because we're supposed to be people of faith. The reason why they're making fun of us is because we're not really people of faith. We don't even really believe that God speaks to us. So if the vice president says the Lord speaks to us, they <laughs> yeah, you're crazy. I know we talk to God, but God don't talk to us. What's wrong with you? 
Are you insane? You need to be put in a mental institution. Why? Because they've never, ever really seen people of faith go, yeah, God spoke to me and told me to tell you this. And they go, oh, how'd you know that? Because why? Because we're uncomfortable bringing our faith into the daily life scenarios. And when the writers of Hebrews is trying to help the people who are being murdered for their Christianity, who are wanting to give up and quit and go back to their old way of living, say it ain't worth it, he reminds them that without faith it's impossible to please God. And that if you'll just be a person of faith, he'll do miracles like he did. Walls don't come down because you sing at them. 90-year-old women don't have babies. Prostitutes don't become the great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah. Faith in our daily actions. God, I believe you that if I obey you here and I don't strike back at my boss, even though what they've done me was wrong, if I pray for them who do me wrong, that you, Lord, and, and believing in you, that you will bless them and bless me in the process. I'm trusting, oh God, when you said love my enemy, that in that you will still promote me and I won't be stomped underfoot. I'm trusting that if you say to tithe, even though it makes no sense, makes no sense, that if I walk in faith with that, that you will care for my needs and the needs of my family. This is what faith looks like, to bring it into our everyday scenario, in the everyday life. This is the writer of Hebrews did to encourage people who are in a lot diff- more difficult situation than we're in. And it's time for you and me to be people of faith again. It's time for us to take his realities and bring them into our everyday life and say, I'll trust you, God. I don't know when that kid's going to serve the Lord. I raised him in the church. He's walked away. He's full-blown drug addict, involved in all. But God, I'm going to pray every day because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman availeth much. I'm going to believe that. I'm going to trust that even though I don't see it. I'm going to, I'm going to, every day, I'm going to speak to that addiction that it tries to call me back in the night and say, you will not have me. You will not. I am God's man. I'm God's daughter. I'm going to speak to that every day. I'm going to overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. I'm going to teach you next week on how we can start growing in our faith and start seeing the supernatural. Would you stand with me all across the room? Quickly. You guys listened a little slow today, so we're a little late. (laughs) The kids' ministers are so mad at me right now. (laughs) Come get your little blessing. (laughs) I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. Create kind of a a safe, private place, even though we're in a crowd of people, where you can talk to God and He can talk to you. And today I want to call you to start being people of faith again. It's not that we don't love God and we don't believe in Him. But there are scenarios that you and I have not been people of faith in. In fact, I want you to think about the last couple weeks. Where you could have been a person of faith, but instead you acted like the world. And I want you to take a moment in those scenarios. Think about them. I don't have to tell you what they are. You already feel the guilt and the shame of that. I know I do. I know I do. I, I remember passing someone a couple weeks ago that was on the side of the road and I didn't even stop to help them. I felt so convicted. I wasn't a person of faith. I was worried about my schedule and getting somewhere. I'll tell you right now, I was so mad at somebody last month. I wasn't a person of faith in that scenario. I didn't handle that the way God would have. So right now, where you're at, I want you to just take a moment and say, Lord, forgive me. I haven't had faith in, at work. I haven't had faith in this marriage. I haven't had... I haven't been a person of faith in relationship to this 16-year-old that lives in my house. 
Lord, I haven't had faith and trust in you with finances. I want you to just go ahead and just ask the Lord to, to help you, forgive you. Communicate from your heart, out of your mouth or under your breath, whichever one, that you want to be a person of faith. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, the church on the hill, not the building, not the meeting, the men and women who call this their church, that church on the hill would be people of faith. That, Lord God, that people would say, I tell you one thing about that church over there, those people are the real deal. They make mistakes, they have shortcomings, but I'll tell you what, it's like, it's like they really love God. It's like you can't hardly get them to cuss you out, can't hardly get them to be mad at you. It's like they, they really believe the God that they serve is actually there. God, I pray right now that men and women in this room who've struggled to believe that that's you speaking to them will begin to walk in faith and hear your voice clearer. God, I pray for those, Lord God, that call this their church, who've really struggled to believe that you love them would come out of doubt and unbelief and start faithing. Even though they may not see it, even though they may not feel it, that they are your son, they are your daughter. God, I pray right now for every person that, that struggles with guilt and shame because of habits that they just can't seem to break through, that they would stop, stop struggling with their failure and start faithing and applying the truth. Declare that they're a person of faith, believing that you will deliver them. That though they fight for a miracle, and fight for a miracle that at some point it will come to pass. Father, I pray right now that every man and woman in this room will begin to commit to grow in faith. Recognizing that just because they got saved, just because they love you doesn't mean that they have the fullness of faith. They've got to continue growing. We have to mature. And the scenarios prove that where we haven't acted like you. God, I ask you right now to heal us and deliver us. And Lord, I'm asking for a church full of faith. Lord, I'm asking to be a part of a group of people who actually believe you. Lord, I know that without faith it's impossible to please you. So, Lord, I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a man that trusts you when others quit on you. I want to be a man that, that pastors the people and the people can say, our pastor is a man of faith. I want to believe when others can't believe. I want to see what others can't see. I want to trust you when I can't see it in myself. And, God, I thank you that you'll do that for us because we ask and we shall receive. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe the truth of the matter is that in your life you're not really serving God. Maybe you're not a Christian. For I've been there. It's a miserable state. Maybe shame and guilt dominate your thought process. Why? Today can be a day of change. You have a choice today. Maybe you used to be a Christian and you walked away. Life happened. You just... Before you knew it, you were separated from God. You were just almost divorced. It's like, and you feel shameful. You're even scared to even be in here, but God keeps drawing you back to himself. Friend, I got good news for you. He loves you. And only he can draw your heart to his heart. The Bible says it like this. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're away from God, you're just a prayer away. If, if, if you've been in sin and you're scared that if you die today, you'd go to hell. Let me tell you something. You're just a prayer away. Confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. And I'd like to lead you in that interaction. I'd like to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I'd like to lead you in a prayer of connectivity, connecting you to God. It says that he'll forgive you and cleanse you the moment you confess, the moment you believe in your heart. You don't have to give money to the church. You don't have to do these great service acts. He did it all on the cross 2,000 years ago. He paid for it all. There's an account with your name on it. And every sin you will ever commit and have ever committed has already been paid for. 
He said, oh, that's awesome. How do I access that account? By asking Jesus into your life, repenting of your sins, confessing with your mouth, and believing in your heart. Friend, today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, if I'm speaking to you, you're away from God. If you know that you know that you know that if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven, let's change that right now. Would you let me pray with you? I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not, I don't want to point you out. I don't want everybody to see you. This is a deep, private decision. Since it's the critical point for authenticity. So today I'm asking you, if you want God, I'd pray with you. Right where you're at. I'll lead you in a prayer of repentance and everything will change in this holy moment. If that's you, say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready. I'm tired of living the way I'm living. I'm tired of being the way I am. I want to change. I want God in my life. I'm ready to commit to him. No one's looking around. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I won't call you for it. I just, you and God need to just do business here and now. And I want to lead you in that prayer. Quickly, slip your hand up. God bless you. Anyone else? Thank you so much for your, thank you. I see you. God bless you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Thanks for being honest. Thank you for being real. Thank you. A couple more seconds. Anybody else? Pastor, that's me. It's time. I need God in my life. Amen. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of connection. And I want you to mean it with all of your heart. Those that lifted your hands, say it with all of your being. Those of you that are in the audience, would you pray out loud with us? Those of us that lift our hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I recognize I've sinned against you. And today I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me new. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now for every man and woman who prayed that prayer cried out to you. Those who lifted their hands, even those who couldn't lift their hands because of fear, but they prayed that with all sincerity. I pray right now they would feel your peace. They would recognize that you love them. They would recognize that if they died in a car accident out on the highway right now, they would be ushered into your arms and you would hold them tight. And they would say, yeah, but I didn't really do that good. And you'd say, it doesn't matter. You're mine. You confessed me. You became mine and I became yours. May they sense that and know the joy of their salvation. The excitement that though they may not be perfect and though there's a lot of growth still yet to happen, that they're yours. And the excitement of the joy of their salvation. May they feel that and sense that today, right now. And may it be with them all of their days. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.